This week on West Mistbusters, we encountered some lovely ladies doing their grocery shopping and noticing all the actions of everyone around them, but maybe not noticing the actions of themselves. You know what? I am really excited to go to a small group this week. Really? What are you guys going to be talking about? Sin. That's my favorite topic. That sounds very interesting. You know what? I've been thinking about it, and I'm really not a bad sinner. I mean, I might have an impure thought of you all. Yes, please. I might Thank have you. an impure thought every now and then, especially when I see that really hot guy on TV. <laughs> but, I mean, overall, I'm pretty as pure as can be. Do you want another grape? Oh, kiddos. I think it's about time to head out of here and go pay for this stuff. Yeah. That's good? Yeah, I think I'm ready to go too. Because I'm going on a date tonight to the movies. Ooh. What movie would you like to see? Let's uh, let's see that new Finding Dory. That looks good. That looks like good. Let's do it. All right. Sounds cool. Like a plan. Let's do that. Oh my goodness. Do you see this? The nerve of some people. These kids. They are. Uh-uh. They're trying to take their own candy into the movie theater. There's no way. Do, do they not realize that they're stealing? That's a that's a form of cheating the movie theater out of revenue. And you know what? That's against the Big Ten. Thou shalt not steal. Unbelievable. I can't believe it. Let's go inside. All right, let's do it. Oh, wait. I need to finish my grapes. There's no way I could ever cheat anyone out of any business. Call. All right. Let's go. Oh my God! Is that somebody taking my car? Hey! No! Hey! Hey! I can't believe that man stole my car. What a sinner! Let us pray. Dear God, I can't believe that man stole my car. That is one of the cardinal sins. You know, one of the big ten. It doesn't matter that his car broke down and he needed to take his mom to the hospital. It doesn't matter that he lost his job a few months ago. It doesn't matter that he's been over a week without food. That's not my fault. It just doesn't matter. Someone does not steal what is not theirs. Oh God, I know you teach us to love the sinner and hate the sin. So please, God, Please help me love him. Please help me love him, even though I hate the sin. I can't help to notice. You seem to be passionate about loving the sinner, but hating the sin. Who are you to determine the severity of the sin? But I still can't seem to tell you why It hurts me every time I see you Realize how much I need you I hate you, I love you I hate that I love you Don't want to, but I can't put Nobody else above you I hate you, I love you I hate that I want you You want her, you need her Good morning. 
Welcome to Worship at West. If you are uh, joining us for the first time or joining us online, we extend a special welcome to you. My name is Daniel Wilson, and I am one of the pastors here at West, um, and we are so excited that you have joined us for this time. As we come to worship together and grow in our faith together, um, we welcome you. We continue this morning our uh, message series, Finding Faith. Uh, last week, Andrea talked about a common statement that is made, uh, you know, it's, it all happens for a reason, or it's all part of God's plan. Um, and she did a very uh, wonderful job um, articulating um, that we do have some free will, and maybe, that, uh, maybe everything that happens is not exactly part of God's plan, uh, but maybe we choose some of what happens in our lives. And so this morning, we continue with this series, and we talk about this statement, love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, it occurred to me yesterday, which is kind of late in the game for sermon, sermon preparation, but um, I was watching my son, who is four, and my nephew play. And as they interacted with one another, I realized that this concept of loving people but disliking what they do is something that might be rooted within us at a very early age. So Wesley, my son, and my nephew Liam were playing together, and they have been playing for hours almost the entire day, and they reached that point. You know the point I'm talking about, the point where two people have been together just long enough, right? I mean, um, it's, it's nothing um, specific to just toddlers. Um, as adults, we know what that's like. So um, just as a way of being interactive this morning, I want you to clap if you have been around someone just long enough and you know what I'm talking about. Yep. It was just long enough that the fun was beginning to wear off. They were playing with this Hot Wheels garage. There were hundreds of Hot Wheels, literally. I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of Hot Wheels all over the house. And as, as, as luck would have it, they wanted the same car, right? Out of hundreds of Hot Wheels, the four-year-old and the three-year-old wanted the same car. They had to have that one car. So they began to kind of scuffle. And I said, boys, and immediately, instantly, without skipping a beat, my son, Wesley, the four-year-old, goes, daddy, he was being badder than I was. I wasn't being bad, Daddy. He was badder than me. And I laughed. And I said, Wesley, it's funny you should say that. Because tomorrow at church, we're going to talk about this story. And so the story this morning is one that Jesus is telling. And Jesus is in the midst of um, a couple of chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, um, giving some instructions. And Jesus is talking about things like not being showy with our religion and not being showy with our prayers, um, you know, just kind of these, these things that we should and shouldn't do. And in chapter 7, verse 3, we find this statement. And um, they will put it on the screen for you. And it says, Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother's or sister's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye. How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own? Let me read that one more time. 
When, why do you see the splinter that's in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? So I, oh, sweet. Um, so this is what this might look like in a real world scenario. Um, this is not my artistic ability, but it's about the extent of my artistic ability. Um, and the one guy says, dude, I think you have something in, I think I've got something in my eye. And the other one says, hey, don't worry, I'll help you get it out with like a two by four stuck in his eye. Um, I thought that was kind of funny um, and what, uh, what this might look like in a real world scenario. Um, so I said to Wesley yesterday, I told him this story that Jesus just um, spoke in the Gospel of Matthew um, in a little different way, um, but it is, it, is, it is funny sometimes how we think that it is okay um, to love a person but hate anything about them or what they do. And so I wondered, where does this statement come from? Where did it even begin I was a little surprised in my research to learn the origin of this statement. It actually came from a letter that was written by St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine obviously is, um, you know, he's a pretty theological dude. He, he knows what's going on. And so um, when I first read that, I thought, how on earth? What is this all about? Um, and so I dug a little deeper and I learned that in its original Latin context, um, it means something maybe a little different, but when you translate the Latin into English, what was written by Augustine was um, that we should love humankind. We should embrace and love humankind, and we should object to what we should object to the sins that they commit. Over time, as that got compressed and condensed people translated that more loosely to say we should love the sinner and hate the sin. So, what do we do with that? How do we reconcile that with what we believe as Christians? I'm going to make a very bold statement. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, personally, this is what I believe. I do not believe that hatred of any kind will ever win. I do not believe that hatred of any kind will ever change someone's mind. In fact, I happen to believe that the more we hate and the more we show our hate for what we call or consider sin, the further away from the church we drive people. I personally do not believe that hating is a part of what God has called me to do. What I do believe is the first half of this statement. I believe that God has put each and every one of us here on this earth to love one another. I believe that when God created each and every one of us, when God breathed God's breath into us, Andreas said last week that God set us humanity, set us out to have dominion, to take care of, God's creation. We have choices to make, yes. I think when God did this, God also wanted us to love one another. The God that breathed life into us calls us not to hate, but to love one another. 
God's love for us, God's grace. We've sang about grace, we talk about grace. What does God's grace look like? God's grace looks like Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to live among us. Jesus walked the dusty roads that ordinary people walk. He hung out with people that society had written off, had labeled bad people. They were sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those who stole from their neighbors. Those were the people that Jesus wanted to hang out with. Never once do I remember seeing in Scripture where Jesus was um, beating anyone over the head with the Bible. I don't recall a time where Jesus was standing on a street corner with a bullhorn. I don't recall a time where Jesus was picketing funerals or anything like that. What I remember is this image of Jesus this perfect, beautiful, divine human who met people right where they were, right in the midst of their junk, right in the midst of their baggage, right in the midst of their sin. The image that I love to think about when I think about Jesus is the Jesus that went to those people and loved them unconditionally. The Jesus that loved people in a way that they had never experienced before. Here at West, we say we live by the Jesus model. So if Jesus did it, or if Jesus told us to do it, then we imitate that. We go and do it as well. So if Jesus loved like that, then I believe That is what God has called us to do, to go and to love each and every person that we encounter. Jesus, in his final hours on this earth, hung on a cross, clinging to life. Jesus didn't curse at the people who had beaten him severely. Jesus didn't curse at the person who spit in his face. Rather, Jesus cried out, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He extended that grace and that love to the very ones who took his life. In his final minutes, he looked to the person who was being crucified right beside him. And he said, surely you will be with me in paradise. Again, showing great love and grace. I happen to be a very big fan of this guy named John Wesley. Um, If you noticed, even my son's name is Wesley, and that's not coincidence. Um, Named after this person, John. Um, And one of the things that I loved most about John Wesley, 
he was a great theologian. He did a lot of things for the church, but I loved his heart. I loved learning about what makes or what made him tick. And one of the things that John and his brother Charles and some of their friends had a real problem with uh, in the Church of England, the Anglican Church in which uh, they grew up in and were a part of, um, they, they saw all of these people pouring into these sanctuaries on Sunday morning. They knew that they were hearing the word of God proclaimed, but they didn't see them doing anything with it. That was troubling to John and to Charles. And so they got together and they created this movement. It was never intended to be a denomination. It was a movement. They said, guys, you know, we have got to go into the community around us and we have to share this radical love. We have to let what, what God is doing in and through us, we have to share that with those around us. And so they cared for the poor. They loved the sinners. They showed them what it was like to live a life that modeled Jesus. Love the sin, hate the sinner. Hmm. As I was preparing this week, I found a video, again, that I thought was humorous, uh, but one that kind of helps illustrate this point in a real-world scenario. So for just a moment, take a look at this video. Everybody this knows how to play checkers, bro. All of that for what? Everybody just and their moms know how to, to play rules, checkers. Bro. You don't know how to play checkers? I know five-year-olds who know how to play checkers. You don't know how to play checkers, bro? Right. Dude, that's Go crazy. <laughs> I'm going to teach you, though. Check it. So, the object of the game mm -hmm. is to eliminate all my players. You the black team, I'm the red team, right? So, what you have to do is when you get something like this, and my player's over here, and your player's over there, you can jump me and take away my player. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Oh, you can only move on the black spots, right? So you can go there or you can go there. You can't go here. Wait, hold up. My bad. You can only move on the red spots. So you go there and you go there. You go here, you can't go outside the, and, wait, hold up. I forgot how to play checkers. It's pretty easy, right? We all think we know how to play checkers. Until it comes down to it, uh, and it comes time to show somebody else how to play checkers. Um, and then maybe some of the rules are a bit fuzzy. Our faith journey is exactly the same. It's really easy, and I'm guilty of it as well, to sit around and to point out, in the words of my four-year-old, who's badder? Who was badder? But friends, we must acknowledge that in this life and in this journey that we are on together, we all come to the table with our stuff. 
You know, I stand before you. I shared some of my story um, last week, uh, but I stand before you, and I'll, I'll make another bold statement. I stand before you a sinner, a person who often falls short of God's grace and God's glory or God's call on my life. I often let the desire for material things, these worldly possessions, overshadow my desire to be the church. I have occasionally walked past someone on the street that maybe just needed a meal. I have never once stepped foot into a prison to visit an inmate that I don't know just for the sake of having a prayer with them. I have my own issues. So who am I to judge how someone else lives? What I do know is God has called me to love my neighbor. God has called me to meet people right where they are in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all the baggage, in the midst of the junk, and love them just as Jesus loves. So what if, what if we didn't take the statement, I love the person, but I hate what they do? And what if we simply said, I love that person? God loves that person. It is God's breath that fills their lungs. And rather than point out their, their, their wrongdoings, I am simply going to love them as Christ loves them. What if we simply loved one another? Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be gathered here in this place. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who show us, showed us how to live and how to love. And God, we thank you for your grace that goes before us, that works in us and through us, that makes us one with you. Even when we fall short, even in the midst of our junk and our baggage, we thank you for loving us in that place anyway. So God, as we sing together, hear our hearts, hear how much we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. What a powerful message. You love me anyway more than anything I've ever known. Friends, let's go from this place and live that message. Let's go and share that message with others, not through our words, but through our actions and how we treat our neighbors. Go in peace. Amen.